Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. Today, our very special guest who's here visiting Portland is John Sindler from Seedcode. How you doing, Matt? Really good. So uh, we're meeting late at night, talking about some stuff, just had a great dinner, drinking some Sazeracs. And there's a couple of interesting things coming up. So this last week was the deadline for submissions for DevCon. And then also, we're planning, you're planning, pause on error in February. Yeah, I'm planning it, but you're helping a lot. I'm going to do the audio recording of the sessions, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, you did a great job last time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. It was fun. So uh, which one are you looking forward to more? You mean DevCon or pause on error? Yes. I'll tell you which I'm more frightened about. I'm more worried about pause. Maybe because it's coming first. But the DevCon thing, I figure there's such a large audience that, you know, whatever I want to speak about, some people will come that care to hear about it but pause it's such a small audience and there are people that you you know i don't know you just really respect and i i don't know if i want to ask like the big questions or try and throw out some big thing that i'm i'm just completely conflicted about what to talk about maybe i won't talk about anything i'll just like lurk well your de- one of your devcon sessions your big one which is the year in review which you absolutely must go to uh, you listener is probably got to be the highest stress one to uh plan for because you have to find these great solutions and put them in their best light, there's just seems like that has a huge amount of work. It is sadly a mountain of work. I mean, it's really fun, and I'm very lucky to get to do it because it gives me a reason to talk to a lot of people that I probably wouldn't get to talk to otherwise. But yeah, mountain of work and not looking forward to it. I actually put it on my calendar. You were jo- joking with me about this earlier that I put it on my calendar to spend a day a week on it since two months ago. That's how much work it takes. I was really kind of, that was kind of what my session was the last several years at DevCon. I did a lot of work planning and talking about search and researching and coming up with a really crazy stunt database. Absolutely. But you loved it. I did. And I actually even did a stunt database this year, too. Really? What's this year's stunt database? The Google Ngram data in FileMaker. (laughs) I saw somebody plotting good versus evil on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. The total number of records. What's your guess? Ah, I'm terrible with numbers. This is basically every single word published in every book, single word and two and three and four and five word uh, groups. But actually, I think they only have a few percentage of all books. Yeah, right. Every book Google's indexed. It's 500 billion lines. Ah, just put that on your iPad. You almost could. <laughs> almost could. Um, it, it's uh, downloadable files. So the, there's, there's 10 files for just the one gram, the one word n-grams in English. And each of those files is a one gigabyte text file. And I think when you end up with all of that, it's like 500 million records. No, it's not that much. It's like 50 million or something like that. It's still a huge number. I mean, even just with one of those files, you're looking at a really, really large record count. So what are you, I mean, what are you looking to do with that? What are you, you going to do with it for DEF CON? Well, I'm not, because I actually, my two sessions that I submitted for DEF CON um, this year, three, was uh, to moderate three panels on different subjects. I love the panels. Such a nice trend that they're, they're doing more of that at DEF CON. I really hope so. Yeah, I, I think you can. The, the two main goals that I have with panels that you can't get in a session are you can get people who sit on the panel who can answer questions and talk about something that they have more expertise than anybody else on the subject. Yeah. And they're not people who otherwise would speak at DevCon because of their position or of their, uh, for whatever reason. They're yeah, just. You know. Absolutely. You know, you get people who. People come to DevCon for access. And nothing gets you access like a panel discussion. Right. And then the second thing is to get a contrasting opinion. So you can say, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the sessions we're going to be talking about is um, is the graph, right? We're going to be talking about that. And we'll have Ray Culligan and, you know, 
some other people battling about. It's like, okay, and this is your solution. You're doing a basic invoicing solution for a customer. Do you use, what do you do? Do you do Spider? Do you do? Yeah. You moderated a session last year on uh, verticals. It's the best thing I attended at DEF CON. It was absolutely fascinating and made me feel like a complete rookie. It was great. And actually, that session last year, that was definitely one of the very big inspiration points for me, too, because of the answers I got. Talking to the guy from Happy Software, wow, and the way he approaches it. Absolutely. These guys are in it much. I mean, I I remember I made a list during this. I was like, oh, what do I use for version control? My inbox. What do I use for bug tracking? My inbox. And and these guys, they have have really thought about this stuff. It was was inspiring. So this year, uh, I submitted the three panels that are technical. And and then we have two other people who are going to be doing panels as well. And they're going to be doing uh, business track and a... Like integration, I guess we got some different things. We're still shaking them out what they're going to be, but it's going to be uh, you know more business focused and then a more technical focused. Yeah, still shaking them out. I mean, we pr- we had to submit the things today, right? And uh, we won't hear for a couple of weeks what gets uh, accepted. Yeah, end of January, I think they said. End of January. Yeah. So pause on air. Yeah, pause. Uh, Feb seventeen and eighteen. It's going to New York City. New York. If we all get there and the snow is clear, it's going to be amazing. Otherwise, it's going to be paused by WebEx. So tell me, why are you nervous about it? I'm nervous. It's like um, I just think that it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. You know, what, what we tell people what I tell people who are um, who want to speak but aren't sure. I'm like, well, given the attendees and the list of people who are coming, if you had all those people in a room, what would you ask them? And that usually ignites a lot of stuff in people and they present sessions and it, it all becomes great. And when I uh, ask myself the same question, I just clam up because I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure right now what to, what to talk about or what well, to ask. The amazing thing that you did at, last, at Pause in Portland a year ago, you got a bunch of people into a room and you put up a couple slides and you said, let's talk about you know, developer, uh, I'm not even sure what it was, best practices or something. What's, <laughs> what's the best way to do this thing it and then you wide ranging definitely and then you shut up you didn't say anything yeah. you let the discussion happen you guided it very gently and let everybody talk julian nadal sent me a nice note he's like i'm not going to present anything but i will i will talk with great passion on any subject proffered <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of well you know there's there's kind of two ways to take that right so some some people there not him um sort of just kind of want to hear themselves speak not that much but there's a few like that. Yeah, there's always a little bit of that, right? Big egos. Sure. But then most people really have great stuff to say, and they really want to sort of get their opinions out there and put sort of their controversial points forward so they can kind of stir up some discussion. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you speak at DEF CON, you're the authority. When you speak at PAUSE, you can be whatever you want. You can be the authority, the questioner, the the rabble rouser, the jester. It's it's an experiment, you know? And yep. And that's the thing is I only get to experiment like this a couple times a year. So, And the other thing I love about Pause is you're sitting on a floor. So you may own a company and you may have 40 employees and you may drive a Ferrari. But when you come to Pause on Error, you're sitting on the floor next to a guy who has one hundredth of your net worth or something. I don't know, whatever. Absolutely right. Giving a shit is the only price of admission. It's the great equalizer. Absolutely. And by putting everybody on that equal playing field, your opinion, it's the information that has the weight, not who you are. You're not making me feel any less nervous about it. Oh, dude, I think that's one of the best <laughs> things about it. I agree. I agree. It's one of the best things about it. Actually, the best thing about it. I just me. wish we could do more. I wish I wish uh, you could, too. We could, too. Whatever. Yeah, I hear you. No, it's going to be great. It's, it's, it's going to be really cool. It's a good list this year. We've, we've already heard from a lot of people about the things they want to uh, present. Um, what are you going to 
do it. Pause. I want to um, lead a discussion on uh, vertical markets, on specifically what things do you have to do differently uh, if you're developing software for, for a vertical market to program knowing that you're going to be deploying it for a large number of people where support's going to be a really big issue. What are the different types of things that you have to do that you don't otherwise have to do? Yeah, I love that. You know, I, I think there's like a parallel kind of session or idea or something there. Like I would call verticals on the cheap because like pretending that you're going to launch a vertical for something, that's a great way to just get your head in the right space for something. You know, I think a lot of us think that like, ah, oh, if I had a vertical, I could spend all this time doing X and I could spend all this time doing Y and like, but no, it's really just a different set of priorities. And man, if we all adopted those priorities, I don't know, that, that, that could be a great way to start developing things. A really good example is a part of your system that you don't really uh, need to do that much, to, that your clients don't need to use that heavily. Maybe configuring a price list for vendors. That's something they do a couple of times a year, and it's a pain in the ass. And every time they do it, they have to sort of do a manual process. So all your solution has now is a couple of tables that are table view, and they just go in and make records. And if you don't know how to use FileMaker, you can't do it. Yeah, and in verticals, that's going to be 100 calls every two months. Exactly. So that one thing, you have to spend a bunch of development time, and that's like a really good example of one of the things that's very, very different about vertical versus either in-house or consulting-type development. Bespoke is the word you like. Bespoke. Yeah, I do like that word. Yeah, that's right. In verticals, there's no slack, right? I mean, depending on what your support model is. If it's a very high-touch model, then fine. Maybe you're going to walk somebody through entering all their products every year. But if it's a low-touch model, which is what most of us are thinking about, and most developers think of themselves as low-touch developers, yet they build very high-touch products. Yeah. And um, the vertical mindset is a great way to kind of get past that. I mean, even if you're not building a vertical, anybody who sat in on that vertical session that you moderated at DEF CON, they're coding differently because they, they were shown some really interesting ways of thinking about and, and approaching things like support, version tracking, update management. I mean, things we all do, even if we don't have verticals, we all do update management. We just wing it. Right. Yeah, I think with verticals, you've got like 10, 100, and 1,000 clients. Those are kind of your three big benchmarks that completely change your company. That's... That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've never, I've never been on that end. We, we consult on a lot of verticals, but, and, uh, and it's funny, a lot of the people that I'm talking to now are trying to do multi-tenant verticals. What do, you, what do you think about that? Where they have the server in one place and they've got people in different cities using it? Or? Well, multi-tenant meaning there's one .fp7 that has multiple clients resident in it, multiple customers. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess in certain situations it would be okay. Um, I guess lately since I've been working on public health data, well, actually even on public health data, I would love to have multiple states have one database. Tempting, so, isn't it? Yeah. It's very tempting. Because there's no legal reason why you can't do it, and there's no business reason why you shouldn't have it. But if, if you've got multiple clients who are competitors in the same city and their data re resides in the same table. That's, that seems to be an alley. Well, here's the biggest reason I wouldn't do it personally, um, just sort of thinking off the cuff. Uh, FileMaker's record-level security, which can completely um, ensure that you can't see any access that you're not supposed to see, has a very high cost in performance. Absolutely, and this is the problem, right? So we can get past it with RLA, record-level security, right? Mm -hmm. But it's too slow. So what we do is we use interface security. Instead, we build portals and relationships and stuff that will ensure that you only see your own shit. And that's only as good as the guy who programmed it. And actually, uh, and, and a sufficiently talented hacker will be able to circumvent it. Absolutely. Pretty much no matter what. It's, uh, it's, it's a little dicey. But record level security? 
can be can be built in such a way that it's that I couldn't conceive of a way to hack it. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I couldn't guess how to do it. Right. Absolutely. You know, re- record level access enforces all these uh, ideas that we have. But most of the people that we see doing um, multi-tenant verticals are not using RLA. I would think that since the cost of having a separate data table or a separate data file for each client is so low, and you can automate a process to update the data. So like if you come out with a new version of a data file once a year or so, you could import all the data from the old version and into the new one. And it could be a silent process that happens at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday or whatever. That would be definitely the way that I would want to do it. Since uh, since FileMaker Server, the the number of files that can be hosted by FileMaker Server um, is smaller than can realistically be hosted by FileMaker Server for busy clients. You're precisely right. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, is that even if you do build a multi-tenant vertical, it's not truly multi-tenant because eventually you need a second server either for a number of clients or because you have clients on the east coast you have clients on the west coast you have clients in europe and you want to you know reduce that latency so you set up multiple servers and now here you go your multi-tenant vertical now has multiple servers and you still have the same update problem we had so what's the really the payoff in having a multi-tenant solution when you're going to have multiple servers anyways and I, i don't know that there's much of one yeah, I have to think about, you know, what's the model for multi-tenant anyway? I mean, I would think that even some of the traditional ASP-type people who offer databases like that, I think they probably don't do, go the multi-tenant way. Even though Oracle technically could probably handle a 1,000 clients in one server, I think you'd really want to build separate tables for each client. I mean, Google's the model for multi-tenant, right? Well, but they're kind of not because Google's totally distributed. You know, here in Portland, in Hood River, Google has a facility that has, I don't know, 20,000 servers or some crazy, and all of them are Google. They're all everything, it's right? Just what it's just right? Exactly. Those, any one server has a couple of clients on it, but there's no one server that's got everybody on it. Right. And, um, yeah, so the, 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 they, have, they must have a really amazing way to distribute data. So, like, when someone adds a web page, they have to distribute that out kind of like DNS, so that all the different, you know, all the hundreds of thousands of different computers all around the world that uh, have a directory of all the different files that exist have that. It's not in one place. You know, it, it reminds me of that the whole fractal thing, right? Like how long is the coast of England? Well, it just depends at what level you measure, right? It's infinitely long. Um, any solution can feel like one of these multi-tenant verticals. All you need is a couple of remote guys, right? A couple of remote guys who can't connect to the database, who have to work offline. Bam, now you're syncing, you have multiple nodes, and all these problems that these guys have come up with really elegant solutions for. You know, any single solution can run into this stuff. That's what's so interesting about the work we do. So what other things, uh, what other sessions at Pause are uh, jumping out? <laughs> Um, a couple of people are announcing new products at Pause. Wow! Uh, some folks are announcing new companies at Pause. Wow! Um, it's yeah, it's going to be pretty uh, exciting, and it's a little early now, so we don't know. All I kind of really know now is the guest list, which is you know up at uh, pauseonair.com or pauseonair.eventbrite.com. Um, but the session list hasn't really started yet, so we're just kind of hearing about it. How long did it take to sell the event out, even though the, no sessions were known at the time of the announcement? <laughs> Depending on who you ask, either 72 or 48 hours. I'm going with 48. I'm going with 48. All Sounds cooler. It does. It's much cooler. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a cluster, though, because, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who are, are in New York and who, you know, want to just wander over and the hotel only holds so many people and we only have so many sessions to curate and um, we need to do more of them, obviously. 
More often pauses, you mean? Yeah, more often pauses. You know, one of the first tenets we came up with when we tried to do it, the first one, you know, in New York was it's got to be repeatable, which meant that it couldn't be too much labor for, you know, Ernest or Molly or Andy or I to, to, to do the next one. And somewhere along the line, that got a little scrunched up and it became a lot of effort. So one of the things I think if you've been to a pause before, I think one of the things you're going to see in New York is this, this is going to be a little more gorilla, um, a little more repeatable. That's good. Well, gor- gorilla is, uh, I would think that'd be, is that, that's a repeatable. That's a good term in this case. That's a good term in this case. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a good term in this case. I think of gorilla being sort of self-organizing as opposed to top down. Right. Right. I mean, we, we do feel we have a responsibility to curate the schedule, right? If somebody proposes something that's obviously going to be foot or tank, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, originally we said, hey, people will vote with their feet. We don't have to worry about it. But no, I mean, if you're flying all the way out to New York, I mean, pause is free, but it's not free, right? It's your time and, you know, your hotel and time away from your business. Um, if we have an opportunity to curate that schedule, we should do it. So we're, we're going to do that a little bit more than we did in Portland, a little bit more than we did in New York last time. But yeah, I don't know. You were there. What do you what do you what do you think? I mean, I think that's a very good idea. It, it, well, first of all, it's really really hard to predict. So last year in Portland, um, I did two sessions, and they were both actually pretty lightly attended. Um, but there, but one of them was really obscure. It was totally fun. It was totally it was about obscure. database development and uh, and music composition. And how the two are similar. It has the best opening soundtrack of any session. <laughs> we had opened it up with uh, Beethoven's Fifth really loud. And <clears throat> yeah, it was kind of fun. I used a lot of musical examples, um, variety and, and craziness and a lot of modern music and a lot of old music and some rock and roll. And Yeah, it, it, was, it was fabulous, but very niche. Yeah, it was niche. It was pretty hard to, I don't know, to sort of make that point. And there was, I don't know, maybe 10 people in there. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that's the point, right? It's like you know, ten really smart people who flew all the way across the country to come see your shit. It's pretty great. No, they're all from Portland. Oh, well, okay, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> I don't know. I can only remember one or two. Yeah, it's a bit of a blur. Um, but but the the ones that I really love, the ones that really got me thinking and then really affected me at pause last year, were the ones that were discussion. Those are the ones where there was 40, 50 people crammed in a room. Those are the ones where John Howell was in the bathtub yeah. watching because that was the only place to be when he walked in 30 seconds late. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we tell you, you know, leave PowerPoint behind. This is not DEF CON. Don't do something you would do at DEF CON. It's not a lecture. Some people want to come and hear a lecture, which is fine, and they may be a little disappointed. But, um, yeah, it's a place to participate. I mean, pause is, you know, what the attendees make it. Somebody asked us last year uh, towards the end, and they were like, so who are the people who really contributed to pause? And Ernest was right off. He was very quick. He was like, everybody, everybody oh, yeah. who was there. And totally. It's, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely true. Which is a fundamental difference of DEF CON. Well, it's a size thing and a scale thing. And, you know, people come for different things. You know, people who come to pause aren't shopping. Right? I wonder if there was even a single person that was at pause who didn't contribute something didn't ask a question or say something once or several times in one of the there wasn't yeah, i think you're right absolutely not maybe michael sloper <laughs> slacker <laughs> michael's gonna kick my ass tomorrow for saying that <laughs> he's a, he's a super smart he's just shy you know he's coming he's coming to new york wow that's right all of uh, fiddlehead the, is the whole the whole troop is coming to new york I hear, I hear michael's presenting something wow yeah that's what i heard kate told me today that's big that's gonna be big for him it's going to be very big. Yeah, he's, he's the guy to listen to, man. Um, I know. Kate was telling me some of the stuff he's doing with PHP at their firm. It's, uh, it's, it's great. 
I totally outed him with that. He didn't. He didn't promise to do anything, but now he's going to have to. Now he's going to have to. No, I know. <laughs> I threw it down. I submitted a session on his behalf for DevCon too. I put his name on it. That is an excellent tradition. I think that began last year, and I, I very much like submitting on behalf of other people, yeah. hacking their email addresses and send that thing. Yeah, it's 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 a good tradition. That actually happened. I think that happened. <laughs> what what more has happened is the, uh, the the I love you feedback emails that have been going in, right? Well, you showed me your DevCon uh, feedback from last year. It said Matt is a hot, hot hottie and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had, I, one of my clients was there who always likes to put in joke ones, and I think that was him. I don't know if it was a joke. I think it's just your fans percolating up. Right. Yeah. Didn't you have, we had one or two of those admirers too, didn't you? I believe those were all you. No, just one. Just one. Thanks. <laughs> Great. So what cool FileMaker stuff did you, do, did you do today, John? Today? Um, today I rerouted all our stuff to Ring Central, which isn't really a FileMaker thing. I worked on our documentation a lot. Um, Kate asked what I was doing, which was uh, which I told her was hardening our APIs, which means putting in more uh, error trapping and messaging, so that when somebody casually calls a script um, from a context they shouldn't or with a parameter that they shouldn't, they get a, a more a message earlier in the process than they do. Um, and that was mostly it. I was on the train down here. So yeah, I, I hardened a little bit and wrote some docs. What did you do today? You told me you were, you were working on a recovery. Well, I did a little bit of work on a, um, a client called me sort of out of the blue with a file that they didn't really have backed up and had crashed. And uh, I crowdsourced it a little bit, put a, put a note up on Facebook and got some people giving me great ideas of what to try. Yeah, David and I had some good comments for you. Yeah, that was a great one, actually. One I hadn't thought of. Don't open the file. But try to see if you can make a link to it from within another database. So, like, make a new database and make a link. That's right. And that opens it in such a way that doesn't actually really load it. Lots of stuff doesn't happen when you open a file like that. Unopened yeah. scripts don't run. Lots of shit doesn't happen. It's right. nice. I'm going to try that. Man's been in the saddle a long time. Yes, yes, he has. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, did you make any progress with it? No, I didn't have a chance to work on that because I had a couple of other uh, client meetings. Um, my favorite thing to do is actually to develop with a client sitting next to me looking at my shoulder and no, looking over my shoulder, I think is the phrase. <laughs> you have sexy shoulders, but you were telling me about this today. This is that when you feel the most empowered and the most inspired is when the subject matter expert, the guy who knows what's got to be done, is right there watching you code. I mean, are they literally watching you code, or are they just kind of? Are you just doing research and writing? No, they're literally. They're actually watching me write scripts. So I've kind of evolved my style of doing things, and I can copy and paste and borrow from things I've done before quick enough where I can actually write a script that creates a deduplicated client record and does a search and I talk through the whole process as I'm doing it, getting confirmation that it's the right thing that they're looking for that will actually solve the problem they're trying to solve. And even though it takes probably a little bit longer than just doing it quietly in a room alone, right. it's way more accurate. There, there's far fewer levels of iteration when you actually can watch them. They can say, oh, yeah, I need to do this. And by the way, when we do that, we do this. And then they're actually seeing the layouts and the scripts evolve in front of their eyes. Because you're not making assumptions for the client. I mean, that's phenomenal. But let's let's back up. You, you're, t you're telling me that you have a pattern library that's developed enough that you can grab sections of code and wire up new scripts live in front of the subject matter expert and have them tell you whether you got it or not. I don't use a pattern library per se. I use previous solutions I've done that have done something similar. But yeah, that's exactly what I do. That is what everybody's trying to do. It's kind of performance programming a little bit. It took me a while to sort of get into it because you're, it's, you're sort of like, you can't be slow. 
right. it has to be a little bit of a um, a show. It, only big egos need apply. No, 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 no. I, I don't cool, do it in ego. It's 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 cool. I mean, this is you know one of the things I presented for DevCon or proposed for DevCon was um, you know scripts as an API library, right? And how to get to the point where you have a a, a pattern library, which is what you have, regardless of what you call it, that you can wire together to build complicated functions. If you can do that live in front of a customer, that's it, man. There's nothing else. That's what that's what everybody wants to be able to do. I think that's actually from from my perspective, I mean, having been working with FileMaker as long as I have, and I've specifically chosen to not switch to another platform. I don't know if there's any other platform I could switch to that would allow me to do that. Yeah, I mean, you see these um, these little demos, people, you know, wiring up things in Rails. There's that WordPress thing. Guy builds WordPress and Rails in like 15 minutes. But I agree with you. I mean, especially that a customer could look over your shoulder and kind of follow along. Because I mean, most of the stuff we do it reads like English, right? Mm-hmm. The customer they they can look and they can see if and else, and I mean, it, yep. you know, it, it reads like English. And then the, the huge benefit. There's actually a lot of side benefits that come from it too. The customer sees and they get exposed to FileMaker code. And then they can see you do certain things, and you can slow down at certain points and say, oh, yeah, and if, by the way, if you need to modify this layout and change the label, here's how you do that. So there's some training, and you're actually training up the client along the way, which is benefit number one. Absolutely. As long as you're training the right person. Yeah. Well, I mean, working with such a large variety of people, so you're, you're sort of building some FileMaker, endemic FileMaker expertise in the company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the other big benefit is is uh, by having them there, which I think we already touched on, you're making sure that what they actually want, that the process they're actually trying to do gets done, and then they can and you're testing it. <clears throat> so you're, you're, you're reducing your text, testing time a great deal, but by testing it as you're developing, um, rather than you know, making testing a, a big set uh, that has to happen later. Yeah, I, I, I think this is phenomenal. I mean, the fact that you're doing this, I remember I talked to Dan Weiss years, maybe this is like six years ago, and he said, you know, our our most successful engagements is when I move in with the client and write the first build and then leave. Just stay on site till the first build's done. And you know, the times I've gone on site long term like that, there's no doubt that the client gets better work. There's there's no shortcut to it. They get better work if you're there all the time. I think I maybe just got to love that by doing the vertical market thing where you're just working on one thing for so long. Um, but isn't that the opposite? I mean, isn't there no client when you're building a vertical? Well, there's no client when you're building a vertical, but your subject matter expertise has to be in-house. Nah. If you don't have subject matter expertise, then you, you really won't be successful. So when you build a vertical, you've got to, you know, if you're building it, right now I'm building a vertical in the roofing industry. And so I'm working with two roofers. And one of them, they both owned roofing companies. And one of them comes at it from the business side, and one of them comes at it from the uh, both from the business and also being on top of the roof. So they completely thoroughly understand um, hip and valley and gable and a lot of roofing things that I'll never understand. But when they look at it, they know that it's right. And so I don't have to worry about it. I know what I don't have to worry about, which is so great. Yeah, absolutely. And so are you getting them in the room when you're programming? Um, today we did it via Skype and go to meeting, which is great. Nice. Um, but uh, very often we'll actually meet at my house or go to one of their places and work with them. Yeah, that's that's slick. It's um you you have this thing for verticals. I mean, I know you're building at least at least this one. Maybe I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about. At least more, but it's uh it's cool. I mean, it's it's pushing FileMaker, you know, in a lot of ways. But it's also requiring you to take on just a lot more. You know, ownership, not just of the subject matter, but of, you know, who's going to be using it. We don't know who's going to be using it. How is it going to be sold? We don't know what are the promises that are going to be made. What are the user expectations? We don't know. It's got to live up to all of that unknown stuff. 
I don't know. We've circled back again to verticals being yeah. this kind of acid test for what FileMaker can do. Yeah, well, I think FileMaker is actually really well situated for it because I think once you actually have the product, once you have a 1.0, uh, so thing A, getting to 1.0 in FileMaker is faster and cheaper than any other way that I can think of. Absolutely. Yet there are no shortcuts for the really hard shit, the documentation, right, the research, yep. you know. But yeah, the coding, faster, no, no doubt. And then so now you have, you have 1.0 and now you're competing with all the other players in the market. And now you can iterate much faster than they can. Thing B, you can iterate faster than they can. You can outcompete your competition because you can, you can develop, uh, uh, address issues in the market faster than they can. Mostly, mostly. And if you choose to be one of those people who forks their code and builds a bespoke version for this client, a bespoke version for yeah. that client, you will rock and roll over the people who are doing that in slower languages. Yeah. The thing that the thing that gets me, some of the things that that I I really scratch my head at lately. Here's one. There's a um, some companies that are offering um, sort of online QuickBooks type stuff where you link some other website to an online accounting system that does invoicing and you use that system to send invoices to the client. The client gets an email with may, that may or may not have a PDF and that has a payment link button and they can click the payment which connects directly to your um, merchant account. How do you do that in FileMaker? I think you have a you use Scriptmaster to go out to FreshBooks. You know the the what's the, the nugget of that is that I got an email with a payment link in it. FreshBooks will do that. A number of other solutions will do that. And you know, thank God, FileMaker has a web publishing engine that could let it you know act as an API agent for these things. So, you know, I know a number of people who are building FreshBooks kind of. Hmm. integrations and then you can do that you have your invoice in FileMaker you fire a link it generates a FreshBook invoice and sends an email out to somebody and there's a payment link there I don't think you have to build the whole thing I think you just have to hook up to something that's doing it um, but I don't know yeah and I think FreshBooks was the one that the client showed me which looks beautiful because their their model is actually not getting a percentage of the sales so they're not actually they're actually just linking up to your pre-existing merchant account. They're not trying to get that. They're just charging you a monthly fee for the service that does this cool thing. And maybe just using that exact same service and just linking it with FileMaker is the way you're saying to do it. Yeah, you know, don't don't reinvent the wheel, just link up to it. I, I tell you a lot of the developers that we're working with are sending us FreshBooks invoices and they're beautiful. And they and just the payment link is right there. I mean, all these things that you're supposed to do. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were bitching about this and that about our business. And uh, he said to me, he says, you know what? At least I don't have any AR problems anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, uh, people who are, I think people who are growing up in this world take that for granted. But for those of us that had to do collections and sent out invoices and they had terms on them and all that stuff, this, this, um, this kind of thing that's been, that FreshBooks makes possible and that other things are letting happen where you send out an invoice, it's got a payment link. It's, uh, it's amazing. To not have AR at all is, is huge. I think there's actually a pretty great opportunity for some FileMaker developer to come out with a really cool API-style solution that links to FreshBooks. So you can say, oh, you've got a table of data in FileMaker. We'll just call this script and send it eight parameters, and boom, a FreshBooks invoice gets created. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think there's some subtle stuff there about how the people who are using FreshBooks, you know, do they have FileMaker problems? Do they have distributed data problems where they need knowledge workers to kind of get in on that stuff and is it more than just creating invoices I, i'm not sure but i think that there's some fertile ground there for freshbooks integration for sure especially because freshbooks does time tracking i mean mm -hmm. which is kind of a bitch yeah. um and and invoicing and the, the invoices that Fre freshbooks sends they're gorgeous yeah they are yeah it's nice
Well, John, it's been a delight talking to you. We could do this for hours, but, I know. but we're not going to. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> we have drinking to do. I know, we do. You have made me an amazing Sazerac. I think probably I've been making these for a while. This may be the best I've had. It's now on tape. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John, for your time. Thank you. Thank you.